If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be in Titus 2 and Titus 3 today. As we continue this sermon series on uh, this little book, this little letter called um, The Proper Working Order. How does the good news of the gospel, how does Jesus Christ, how does our triune God put our very lives, our very church into the proper working order? Are any of you here needing a little adjustment? Is everybody's here is life perfect or do we need to hear God's word today saying, God, again, come and help me live a life that's in proper working order to you and to one another. Uh, to read scripture this morning, we have Christy Gambrell. Uh, she's our women's ministry coordinator. She's going to read to us God's word. Christy, welcome. Good morning. You can follow along with me in your bulletin. We'll start chapter two, verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works." Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy hated by others, and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us so richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hey, thank you, Christy. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the amazing grace that you have poured upon us. The grace that has come through the life, death, and resurrection of your son, Jesus, our Savior. God, we ask that that grace that first appeared would appear again afresh this morning through the preaching of your word. Oh, Father God, I ask that you would come in a way that you give us ears to hear your voice. Father, minds to understand your word. Hearts that embrace your truth. And feet that walk in a manner worthy of your glorious name. Father, this is such an amazing passage of your word. It's so important for us to have this as our sure foundation and our living hope. So come and speak clearly to every heart. God, the things that I say that are wrong or merely my opinion, may those things fall away and be forgotten quickly. But the things that are said that contain the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us more like your son, our Savior Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. One thing I know about this church and one thing I embrace and love about this church is this church is built upon a solid foundation. 
uh, believing that uh, our lives to have the proper working order is by God's grace and God's grace alone through the work of his son, through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for us to have any proper working order individually or collectively, we need a solid foundation. My brothers and sisters, here it is. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But it's even more than that. This church, you may or may not know, literally has a solid foundation. Now, when we were building this church, uh, the founding pastor, Chuck Green, loves telling this story. In 1986, we had grown uh, to the point where we expanded to this campus uh, and we poured the foundation and the walls started to come up. And uh, one day as they appeared to provide more work on this building, they see a huge crack in the wall. So they stop and they make, they fix the crack. They paste it all together. Everything's great. And they continue their work. They come back the next day, a bigger crack. Well, eventually they realize the problem's not the wall. The problem's the foundation. Let's see what's really underneath us. Do you know we live in Florida? You ever heard a thing called a sinkhole? You remember a couple of weeks ago, uh, even one of those Disney properties or some resort property out near Claremont that kind of disappeared into a little hole called a sinkhole. That's a kind of a scary thing. Well, guess what? You're sitting on what used to be a sinkhole. Yeah. All right. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. As a matter of fact, when we were building, <laughs> when we were building, we realized uh, they had this hole. So we started pouring grout, cement stuff into the hole. Uh, we were told that it took 150 cement trucks worth of stuff to fill the void underneath us. So my brothers and sisters, good news. This church really is on the solid rock, not only of Christ, but also on grout. Um, and we have a foundation in which we can build our lives. But we know that just a foundation is not enough. Uh, we had to also have more than just a solid foundation. We had to have a plan. You had to have blueprints as to what you were building. No one pours a foundation and says, okay, let's start building without a picture of what they're building, without a plan of what that will become. And that's what we want to have. Well, this text is an amazing text before us. This passage does two things for us that are so important for our lives today. This text will provide the theological foundation that our lives need to be built upon so that we can live our lives in proper working order. But the text in God's grace does even more. It also gives us a picture, a picture of what is to come, what will become of our lives. And so we can live our lives when the cracks appear in our lives or in our relationships or our families or even in our church. This is an amazing grace of God that, that frames together some theological truths to show us a beautiful picture of where we are today. You see, that frame consists of two things. If you heard it or read along, you saw that in this passage, we live in between right now two appearances of God. The first appearance of God has already happened. That's when Jesus Christ came, bringing his grace unto salvation. Good news for every one of us. God has appeared to us. God has been gracious to us. God has offered us life and life abundantly. But as we live our lives on that, there's another appearance coming. One to bring his glory to perfection. Let's say it again this way. He has appeared one time bringing grace for salvation. He is going to appear another time, according to God's word, bringing his glory to perfection. 
And these two appearances provide the framework for us to live our lives today. What does a frame do for a piece of art? Well, if you have a, a piece of art that your child has done and you love it and you really think, man, that's awesome piece, you will buy a frame for it. You'll buy a frame for it that will give it its context, that will pull out its beauty, that will draw you in so you can understand what this piece really is. This is so important because we're going to talk about some wonderfully deep, profound theological truths today. And oftentimes when you talk about theology, you say, wonderful, this is a sermon about my head, it has nothing to do with my feet. Not true. All of God's truths have them an implication of the way we live our lives. And the amazing beauty of this passage, it's one of my favorite in all of scripture, because I really believe it provides a framework for us for how to live our lives in proper order, knowing that God's grace has appeared and we can be saved and knowing that God's glory will appear and we will be all right. If you want to follow along in your bulletin, there's an outline for you there. I may or may not follow it as clearly as you see there, but I know that we'll get through it and God will speak clearly to us. The first thing is this, the grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation for all of us. It's amazing how this begins. The grace of God has appeared. Salvation is now available to all of us. And the first thing that we have to see in this passage and in all of scripture, it's true of all of scripture, is this. Salvation is of the Lord. Salvation, making us in proper working order, is all by God's grace. It is all the work of the Lord. It says in chapter 3, verse 7, again, that he saved us. That it's God's grace that saved us. That's not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to God's mercy. So here's where we got to begin. Salvation is of the Lord. If we have a relationship with him, it's not because we're good. It's not because we have done good or we will do good or we prepare ourselves to do good. Salvation and being put right with God and right with one another is all by God's grace. It's all of the Lord. Say it this way. Salvation is his idea. Salvation is his plan. Salvation is his work. Scripture tells us that before God spoke anything into existence, what an amazing God, that's how he creates. Before he spoke anything into into existence, he had a plan for those of us who were going to be rescued. He had a wonderful plan, a plan that included sending his son before the foundation of the world. God chose for himself those that he was going to rescue and had a plan saying, my son is going to do it. He was the one who came up with the idea. He's the one who had the plan. And it's all about his work from start to finish. So if you're here and you have a relationship with God, you should be singing all the time, amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me because I have nothing to offer, had nothing to offer, and yet he saved me. We also have to realize it took all of God, all of who God is to save all of us. What does that mean, Jeff? Well, we we see that God has revealed himself as one true and living God, the only God. And this God exists in three persons. There is a holy God, a holy father, a holy son, and a holy spirit. And when we look at this salvation, even this passage teaches to us, if you have a relationship with God, each one of those, each three, each one of the, the three persons of the Trinity had a part in your salvation. It took all of God to save all of us. I want to say it this way. 
It took all of God to put us in the proper working order. We were that messed up. Sin has so defiled us. Sin has so deadened us. Sin has so separated us from Holy Father, Holy God, that it took all of him to save all, uh, us. Let me, let me give you the implications of that. I'm going to give it to you in a uh, nutshell in the one packet. The nutshell is this. Salvation is of the Lord. It's a father who initiates. It's all by the father's initiation. It's a father who gives and sends. It's of the Lord. It's a son who executes. A father who initiates, a son who executes. He's the one who comes and gets us. And the Holy Spirit that applies. So if you are here and if it's your first day of getting the gospel or if you've gotten it for many years, it's an amazing work of our triune God, a father who gives. John 3.16 says this, that God so loved the world, the father so loved the world, (laughs) as messed up and broken as is, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You see, it all begins with a father who's loving. It all begins with a father who's benevolent. It all begins with a father who says, I'm gonna send what's most precious to me to rescue what will become most precious to me in him. A father who sends. Galatians 4, 4 says it this way. For in the fullness of time, when time was just right for God to appear, God sent forth his son, Jesus, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? So that he might redeem us, so that we might become his adopted sons and daughters, so that we might become the joint heirs with Christ. It all starts with the father. The father who initiates, the father who sends, the father who gives. And then there's the son. There's the son in the language here. It says in verse 14 and 214, the son who gave himself for us to redeem us or he executes our salvation. He came and he purchased us. He bought us back from the slavery of sin and death and he purchased us with his own life and his own blood. The son who executes salvation for us by becoming executed for us on the cross. It's amazing. Matthew 10, 45 says it this way. For even the son of man, Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so this salvation uh, required a life being given, a ransom being made. And that's Jesus who would come and give his life for us. Revelation 5, 9. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. But it's more than a father who initiates. And it's more than just a son who executes. It requires a Holy Spirit. It says in this passage, he regenerates and renews us. He applies this love of the Father. He applies the work of the Son to our hearts. Let me read what it says in verses 5 and 6. By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Here's the deal. God says, I'm going to love my people and I'm going to save them. And he says, I'm going to send my only son and he's going to go rescue him. And he's going to rescue him by doing all that which I require of godliness and holiness. And I'm going to let him pay the price on a cross for their death. But I'm going to do more than just send my son. I'm going to send my Holy Spirit. Because what sin has done for us, you got to look at this. What sin has done for us is it's made us dead in our trespasses and sins. We no longer in our natural state, it says, well, apart from the grace of God, by nature, we're children of wrath. 
By, by nature, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. God's grace was so amazingly great that not only did he send his son, not only did his son die, but the Holy Spirit had to come and give us a new heart. He says our heart naturally is a heart of stone. He had to give us a heart of flesh, a heart of faith. He had to open up our eyes so that we could see the truth. He had to open up our ears to hear the voice of Jesus. He even had to give us the gift of faith itself. Salvation is of the Lord. If you have a relationship with God, it is all based, every single part of it, on the grace of God. A father who sends, a son who executes, and a Holy Spirit who says, I am going to remove your heart. I'm going to make you new, regenerate. I'm going to give you a whole new nature so that you can be my treasured, beloved people. Salvation is all of the Lord. The grace of God has appeared Isn't that awesome? It says this, to all people. Who are all the people? Salvation has appeared. God's grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Who are they all? Well, we know last week, as I preached through Titus, uh, we saw a whole list of people. It talked about young men and old women, uh, young men, old men, young women, old women. It says all those people, all types. When it says this, when salvation has appeared to all people, it means all types of people, young, old, children, Jew, Gentile, from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Does it mean that salvation has appeared, bringing uh, uh, salvation has appeared, bringing salvation to all, like every single one? We read through Scripture and we realize there are those who will never be saved. There are those who will not embrace the good news of, of, of Jesus Christ. Although Jesus' work on the cross, listen to this. Although Jesus' work on the cross was powerful enough to save every human being that ever lived, it wasn't intended to. It was to save those that God calls my, my possession. My elect is what the Titus 1 says of this. My church, my people. We know for sure there'll be people who don't embrace the gospel. But by God's grace, the all includes his treasured possession, his church. It's powerful enough of all, uh, the only hope for all, but effective for just his own. But here's the amazing news. Is, you know what? We could stop right now and say, such great news. Did we not hear good news? That God is the author of salvation from start to finish. It's all about his grace. Good news. But not only does God save, you ready for this? God trains us how to live. He basically says, I'm, I'm going to make your life in proper working order through the work of my son. But I'm going to do more than just make you new. I'm going to help you live. So it says the grace of God that has appeared that trains us. It personally trains us how to live. It seems like we live in a day and age where everyone has a personal trainer. You've got to have this kind of workout. You've got to eat this kind of stuff. Personally, you're going to have one specific plan. The amazing good news of God's grace is, is this grace has appeared. It has brought salvation, but it does more than that. It trains you how to live, to live your lives. It saves us from lawlessness and the penalty and power of sin. But the grace that trains us It trains us to say, listen, now that you are rescued, there's a way to live. And the way to live is more than just a moral rules and regulation. This is how you were properly ordered. So God is telling us, I'm going to train you how to really be the men and women you should be right now. Trains us to renounce ungodliness and live properly um, with obedience and submission God's not just an ogre trying to keep things from us. He's, he's cleansed us and lifts us up saying, this is what proper working order is like. It says, it gives the grace that makes us zealous for good works. That because what Christ has done, we're never saved because of good works. That was clear. 
But now because of what Jesus has done and the Holy Spirit inside of us, we should say, we need to live our lives in a way that show the reality that he lives and he's for us and he loves us. We need to be zealous for good works. It says specifically three things I think are interesting. Like to live a life that's self-controlled. It keeps on coming back to that self-controlled. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are called to live self-controlled. That's for yourself. Upright. That word means righteous or just before others. Love others as yourself. Be in control of yourself. Be right with your neighbor. And then godly before God. That is the calling. You know, last week, last week I, uh, I preached the sermon. I thought it was very important in the text that we have to pass the baton on to the next generation. And it actually said, this is how an older man should live. And it said these things. It said, an older man should be sober-minded. An older man should be dignified. An older man should be self-controlled. An older man should be sound in his faith and in his love and in his endurance. If you were here, you thought, man, that wasn't a bad sermon. I felt pretty good about it. I want you to know I had one of the worst weeks of my life that I could have when it comes to self-control, living a life dignified with dignity, living a life of sober-mindedness. I mean, the wheels came off last week. Have you been there? I mean, it was awful. I went and played golf with my sons. Doesn't that sound like a good thing to do? Monday, a day off, went and played golf with my sons. How grateful I am that I have sons and I'm able to go play with them. And by the first hole, the wheels were off. <laughs> it was not pretty. If right now I was saying, hey, let's, let's go to the tape, I think there'd be a mad rush for the door saying, this fella's loony. Let me just say, I didn't come home with all the clubs I left with, okay? <laughs> and let me say that I had to say to my sons, today, I'm sure you were embarrassed of your dad. And I'm sorry. I was not sober-minded, I was not dignified, I was not self-controlled. And so, so stick with me, here's a point. What do we do then? I mean, we sang today, your grace is enough. And I'm telling you right now that salvation is of the Lord and we have truly been set free. But I got such good news that this text tells us that there's actually more than just the fact that we've been saved unto the Lord and saved into giving us new life. But there's perfection to come. The glory of God that will appear that gives us hope for tomorrow. You see, the reality is that there's more than just this, my brothers and sisters. The reality is, is God's glory is going to appear. And when it appears, Jesus is going to come triumphantly. And when he returns, he's going to come with the new heavens and a new earth. And here's what's going to happen when Jesus comes. He's going to truly wipe away every tear. And he's going to do away with all cancer. And I can't wait till he does away with all cancer. Because I'm sick of hearing more and more people who have it. And I'm just so tired of anointing him with oil and praying him over. Can't you long for the day, the hope of the day that will come when cancer will be no more? Don't you long for the day where there'll be no more divorce. There will be no more prodigal children. There will be no more wars. There will be more, no more death. There will be no more loss. The glory of God will appear. And when it appears, it will bring the perfection that we long for. But that glory that will appear also, listen, it also has to do with how we live today. I love the fact that in this text, 
Paul is telling Titus such amazing theological truths, but they're all framed work with how you live today, waiting for the glory of God to appear. Listen listen to the implications of how we live. Who gives himself to us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. You see, the saving grace and the future glory restores our lives in the proper working order. Did you hear it? The saving grace of God that has appeared and the future glory that will appear restores our lives into the proper working order. On on Thursday, as I was putting this outline together, I scratched together a little bit of a picture, a diagram of this frame of what this could look like in our lives. So let me see if we we can get to this. If you picture your life in the middle, and what, is, what does this all mean? It's, let's see on the bottom of the foundation of this is that the grace of God that has appeared. And as the grace of God occurs, it brings salvation. Such good news. Yahoo. But the glory of God that will appear. He is coming back and it will bring perfection. So this text says, in this present age as you live, something called sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Right now, we reflect God's glory. Right now, we enjoy God's blessing. Right now, we live in submission to King Jesus. And right now, we live on mission for Jesus. Let me see if I can make this clear to you. Let me see if that, go to the next slide. Will will those top two disappear? You see, I think that most of us, we lived our lives with just the first two. And we forgot that there's another appearance in glory that is coming. Here's the point. God tells us this great truth to say, I want it to affect you right now, where you live your life. Many times people think Christianity is a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. That's not what it's about. This is what God is saying to you. I have come, I've appeared by grace to put your life in proper working order. I will come again and make sure that it will forever be in proper working order. But in the meantime, that hope should frame your life. And it's going to teach you how to live. It's going to train you how to live. Not because he's a big cosmic killjoy. But a life in proper working order is this. It reflects the beauty of God. He says we love him and man he's rescued a sinner like me. It reflects him and it lives with his blessings now. And it says now, you know what? Thy kingdom has come and thy will should be done right now. I want to live my life. We should live our lives right now in submission to Jesus as king of all things. And right now we should live our lives on mission for Jesus as king. Thy will be done in my, in my life. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because right now we are a colony of heaven on earth. It's unbelievable. And right now we're a peculiar people a treasured possession that God wants to tell his story to the world through us. I exhort you. The scripture says in this passage, exhort them, rebuke them, encourage them. This is important because this will give you hope for tomorrow. This will give you strength for the day. And this will give you a picture of what God is doing for his glory. Let us pray. Father God, Thank you for this amazing grace that has appeared and this amazing salvation that's offered to each one of us right now. God, I pray there's not a soul here that isn't able to embrace that amazing grace and say, yes, Jesus is my savior. But God, I thank you for the glory that will appear, that there's even more to come. And when we act like like crazy folks on a golf course that don't even know you or much worse in different ways of life, 
that we know, yes, we're on a solid foundation, but one day glory will come. And now we're to live our lives in that framework. Father, I pray that you'd press us upon each one of us in this church for your glory so that the picture could be seen of our lives. And as you frame this truth around our present lives, this present age, I know the picture the world will see. It's going to be of your son. And they're going to see us. And they'll see him. The hope of glory. Holy Spirit, come. Come and work in each one of our hearts for your glory, we pray. Amen.